Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful, beautiful day you have given us. We thank you because uh, you're our God. You've given us the privilege of being your children. We ask, Lord, that as we study tonight, your Holy Spirit will be with us and help us to understand uh, the things that are soon to take place in this world and uh, the place that you're preparing for us in heaven. What a privilege to have you as our God and as our Father. Bless us and keep us in your care as we study this lesson. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin this evening by asking some questions. The questions are not in the lesson, but I'm going to, uh, I'm going to begin the lesson with these questions. What is the purpose of the millennium? Why doesn't God destroy the devil, his angels, and the wicked human beings at the moment of the second coming? Why does God wait for 1,000 years to finally destroy the wicked? He could do it at the second coming, couldn't he? Of course. Could God make a new heaven and a new earth at the second coming? Sure. Sure. So why a millennium? Another question. If the meek, that is the saints, will inherit the earth, why do they not receive this inheritance at the second coming? Why does God take them to heaven for 1,000 years before giving them their final inheritance. Another question. Why do the wicked die twice? At the second coming and after the thousand years. If God is loving and merciful, how could he allow the wicked to die twice? Another question. Why is there a judgment after the thousand years? as described in Revelation 20, 11 to 15. If the saved are already in the city and the wicked are outside the city, why would a judgment be necessary? Are you understanding my questions? Another question. Why are Satan and his angels bound to the earth in a living state during the thousand years? According to the Bible, what does it mean to bind and unbind Satan. Another question, and in the lesson we're going to try and answer all of these questions. What will be the condition of the earth during the thousand years? Will it be a paradise like the Garden of Eden, where God's people will live happily ever after? Will it be an arena where the lost will have a second chance to be saved? Will it be a kingdom come for the Jewish nation? In other words, what events take place before, during, and after the millennium, and why do those events take place in the way they do? Now let me say that this must be important, or God would not have put it in his word. Somebody once said to me, I never study the things like the millennium, because by the time the millennium comes around, we're going to be saved or we're going to be lost. So it's just an academic matter. Well, the fact is, if God included this in his word, a whole chapter plus the first eight verses of chapter 21, it must be because there are some important things that God wants us to know, or else he would not have put it in his word. Last I read, the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is useful. Now, let's begin our lesson at the very top 
In our present lesson, we will study the thousand years of Revelation 20. We will seek to answer several important questions such as, will the millennium be spent in heaven or on earth? What will be the condition of the earth during this period? What will God's people be doing during this time? Why is there a white throne judgment after the millennium? What does Revelation mean when it speaks of second death? Is it even important to know what will happen during this time? Let's get right into our study by beginning with some introductory and structural matters. Revelation 19, 11 to 21 describes what event? The second coming of Jesus. That's the battle of Armageddon is the second coming. The battle of Armageddon is fought under the seventh plague. The sixth plague is the preparation for Armageddon. Right? Remember we studied that? The river Euphrates dries up. And that marks the fact that now the armies are going to enter and overcome Babylon. Well, the multitudes, nations, tongues, and peoples withdraw their support from Babylon. And then Jesus comes with the armies of heaven to fight against the beast and against the false prophet and to cast them into the lake of fire. Now, by this time, the plagues will have decimated the population of the planet, right? I mean, imagine. Sores all over the body and the mouth. The tongue and the eyes are dissolving. The sea has converted totally into blood. All the fish have died. The fountains of waters, the drinking water is all turned into blood. The sun has scorched all of the vegetation on planet Earth. And then right after the sun does that, you have an intense darkness. And then under the sixth plague, people are killing each other. <laughs> I mean, the plagues are literally decimating planet Earth. Now, what happens at the very culmination of the second coming? It says, and the, the rest. The, real, the word there is loipos, which means the remnant. In other words, when Jesus comes, there's only going to be a remnant left. Only a remnant of the wicked. The rest of the wicked. Because all of the other wicked have been what? Have been killed by the plagues. There's not going to be that many people to kill. <laughs> when Jesus comes, or to destroy when Jesus comes. And so it says, and the rest were slain with the sword. By the way, the sword from Christ's mouth is his word. Revelation 16, 17 says that when Jesus says, it is finished, that will mark the destruction of the wicked. And so they're destroyed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. Now number two. The millennium is described in Revelation 20, verse 1, through Revelation 21, verse 8. The events in these chapters are not in chronological order. Does that surprise you? <laughs> We've learned now that Revelation is not in chronological order. You have to be careful about the sequence of events in the book. In fact, the millennial events run in cycles. We know this because the same climax is reached four times. Though the events are repeated four times, each repetition has a different focus or different emphasis. Now let's take a look at the four uh, emphases that are given. 
Revelation 21 to 3, the central focus is whom? Satan. Satan and the condition of the earth. In Revelation 20, verses 4 through 10, the central focus is what? The saints. Although at the end there's a little bit about uh, the wicked surrounding the city. But even then, it says that they surround the camp of the saints. So the focus is the saints. Revelation 20, 11 through 21, 1. The central focus is what? The judgment of the wicked on earth. In Revelation 21, verses 2 through 8, the central focus is what life will be like in the holy city. Four focuses. And when you put them all together, you have a complete picture. Now, I suppose that John could have written everything out in one outline. But that was not the method he used to organize his book. That was not the Hebrew method of writing. You know, the way that they wrote was by repetition, by cycles. In fact, uh, Hebrew poetry is characterized by what is known as parallelism. There's three basic kinds of parallelism in Hebrew poetry. There's what is called synonymous parallelism, where the first line is repeated in the second line in different words. And sometimes there are three lines that repeat the same thought in different words because their principle of Hebrew thinking is repetition. And then, of course, you have also uh, what is called antithetical parallelism, where what is said in the first line, it, the opposite is said in the second line. And then you have synthetic parallelism, where what is said in the first line, the thought is completed in the second and the third line. But the main point of Hebrew thinking is that when they write, they write on the basis of repetition. And that's why we find four times the millennial events repeated here. Now let's go to our first view, or our first center of focus, the view of Satan and the earth. The angel who comes down from heaven has the key to what? Bottomless pit. Unfortunate translation. Because the word bottomless just simply is not there. The Greek word is abusos, where we get the word abyss from. So uh, it should be translated the deep or the abyss. Now, the reason why this is important is because in question number two, we're going to find another verse that uses the same Greek word in the Greek Old Testament. In Genesis 1 verse 2, we are told that the earth, earth was without form and void. Without form means uh, uh, basically that it's disorderly. And void means that it is empty. I like the Spanish translation better. La tierra estaba desordenada y vacía. <laughs> See, the earth was uh, disorderly and empty. See, that's what it means. Uh, did some of you understand that? Wasn't that beautiful Spanish? <laughs> uh, well, let's continue here. <laughs> and the darkness was on the face of the what? Of the deep. By the way, that's Colombian Spanish. Now, let's read the note. The word deep in the Greek Old Testament is the same as in Revelation 20, verse 1, abusos. The word deep thus describes a planet in what condition? 
in a chaotic pre-creative state. It is noteworthy that the plagues of Revelation 16 actually reverse creation. Did you notice that? That the plagues afflict the very things that God created during creation week? I don't know whether you noticed that. Does it afflict the sun and the moon? Does it afflict the vegetation? Do all of the fish die? Are the seas filled with blood? Is the earth broken up? See, everything that God created in creation week is undone by the plagues. Which means that the earth is going to re return to pre-creation chaos. Let me ask you, could this planet sustain life before creation? Will it be able to sustain life after the plagues? No. So I guess so much for the idea that this earth is going to be a paradise during the thousand years. It's impossible. Some people say, well, but doesn't God gonna, isn't God going to make a new heavens and a new earth? Yes, but that's after the millennium. That's not before the millennium. It's after. We need to keep that in mind. Now, the very things which God made during creation are afflicted. The earth is broken up. The sun, moon, and stars are moved from their places. By the way, that's why the earth is in darkness during the millennium. All the vegetation is destroyed. The seas are filled with blood. And all the fish die. The planet returns to darkness. And all human beings die. Number three, we have corroborating evidence of this, not only because the word deep is used in Revelation and in Genesis to speak of the planet in a pre-creative state, but the prophet Jeremiah tells us as much. The prophet Jeremiah was permitted to see the earth during the millennium. He heard the sound of the... What event is that? The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the what? The trumpet of God. So what did Jeremiah see? He saw what? The second coming of Jesus. He heard the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of what? War. Which war is this? Which battle is this? Armageddon. He then beheld the earth. The what? He beheld Israel. No. He beheld the earth. And indeed, it was without form and void. Do you know there are only two places in the Bible where that expression without form and void are used? Genesis 1 verse 2 and Jeremiah 4.23. Genesis is speaking of the condition of the world before creation. Jeremiah 4 is talking about the destruction of the world when Jesus comes. Which means that the world will return to the condition it was in before creation. Now let's continue here. The earth will be without form and void, according to Jeremiah. And the heavens, they had no what? Let me ask you, before creation, was there any light? No. God had to say the first day what? Let there be light. He also saw the mountains. Tremble. In other words, there's going to be an earthquake during the millennium. Jeremiah also beheld, and indeed there were many human beings. There was no man. Now what about Isaiah 24 verse 6? It says, few men are left. <laughs> Those are the redeemed. But on earth there's no man left, according to this. And all the birds of the heaven had what? 
fled. Even the birds are gone, which God made the fifth day. The fish die in the sea, and the birds are gone. The fruitful land had become a what? A wilderness. Does this sound like the earth is going to be a garden of Eden during the millennium? And all the what? All the cities were broken down. By the way, this is identical to what it says in Revelation 16, verse 17, about the seventh plague. It says, the cities of the world fell. And so it says, the cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce what? Anger. Anger. Is this the outpouring of God's wrath at the second coming? It most certainly is. There's no doubt about it. Now let's read the note. In spite of the incredible desolation caused by the wrath of God, we are told that at this time God would not make a full end. Are there still some things to happen? Even when the planet returns to pre-creation chaos. Yes, there are still some things that are going to take place. Number four, in Jeremiah 25, 30 to 38. I hope you read that whole passage. We have a powerful description of the coming of Jesus. We are told that the Lord will roar from on high and utter his voice. From where? From his holy habitation. Where is his holy habitation? Heaven. He will give a... A what? Where do we find that word? First Thessalonians 4. Yes. He will give a shout. And then it says, as those who tread the... The grapes. Did we find that in Revelation? The wine press. See? You can't understand Revelation without the Old Testament. And then it says, on that day, the what? The slain of the Lord will be from one end of the earth even to the other. They shall not be what? They shall not be lamented. Why won't they be lamented? Because there's nobody to lament them. We just read that there's no man. They shall not be lamented or gathered or buried. Nobody to bury them. Is this clear? Yes? Crystal clear? Like today was? I hope so. Number five. Isaiah adds that when Jesus comes, he will make the earth empty and make it waste. See the same terminology, similar terminology to, to uh, Jeremiah chapter four. The land will be utterly what? Emptied and utterly plundered. The inhabitants of the earth, earth are burned and few men are left. And of course the left ones are the ones who are left in Matthew 24. And the taken ones are the ones who are what? Destroyed, the lost. Right, we already studied that. Number six. The powerful angel from heaven binds Satan and casts him into the abyss, into the deep, into the earth in a chaotic state for 1,000 years. The result of his binding is that he can deceive the nations no more until the thousand years are finished. So the binding of Satan means that he can no longer what? Deceive the nations. But when he's unbound, he can what? Deceive the nations. So in other words, binding and unbinding has to do with the nations. Are you with me? 
Now, let's read the note. Satan is bound to an earth which has returned to pre-creation chaos. How could human beings live on this planet when the seas and the fresh waters are all blood, the air has the stench of the dead, the planet is in total darkness, and there is no plant or animal life? The binding of Satan means that he cannot deceive the nations because there are no nations left to deceive. Because the rest were killed when Jesus came. We read that, Revelation 19, 21, right? Now, but after the millennium, Satan will be what? Loosed for a little while. The punishment of Satan, now this, we did get into this a lot uh, because we don't have the time. The punishment of Satan reminds us of the fate of the scapegoat on the day of atonement. Remember the scapegoat ceremony? All of the sins were cleansed from the sanctuary and, uh, and the high priest would place both hands on the head of, the, of this he-goat whose name is Azazel. We call him Azazel. We mispronounce it, Azazel. <laughs> but anyway, he places all of the sins that have been brought out of the sanctuary on the head of Azazel. And then Azazel, by the way, who does Azazel represent? He represents Satan. The Jews in, their, in Jewish tradition, in the Talmud, for them, Azazel is a malignant spirit being. So they knew very well who, who Azazel represented. And interestingly enough, if you read those two verses in Leviticus 16, 21 and 22, there are two characteristics about Azazel. First of all, it says that Azazel is sent out into the wilderness. And secondly, it says that the wilderness is not inhabited. Do you read those verses? He's sent out to a desolate wilderness that is not inhabited. Is that the condition of the earth during the thousand years? Yes. And unfortunately, I wish I had an hour to talk to you about the sanctuary dimension about the thousand years. Well, we don't have the time to do it, but you can ask questions on Saturday night. <laughs> so somebody might ask, could you tell us a little bit more about Azazel? Just a little suggestion. <laughs> okay, is the sec first section clear? Who is the center of focus? In the first section, who's the central focus? Satan and the condition of what? The condition of the earth. That's the central focus of this section. By the way, do these three verses summarize the events before, during, and after the millennium? Yes. Because it says that the angel comes down, he binds Satan. During the thousand years, he can't deceive the nations. At the end of the thousand years, he's released so that he can deceive the nations for a little while. You have all of the millennial events summarized from the perspective of Satan. But immediately you ask, well, what about all the saints? What happened to them? Well, let's go to our next section. When Revelation 21 to 3 ends, we are left with several questions. What happened to the righteous? What does bind and unbind mean? What happened to the wicked who were destroyed at the second coming? What did Satan deceive the nations to do after the thousand years? What happened to Satan after he was released a little while? Does Revelation 20 verse 3 say what happened when he was released for a little while? No, it simply says that he was released for a little while. Released to deceive the nations. Deceive them to do what? We don't know. Just in verses 1 to 3. That's why we need the next section, which builds on the previous section. 
Are you understanding why we have these four outlines? What happened to Satan after he was released a little while? These questions will be answered in the succeeding verses. Now, does somebody want to read for me John 5, 28 and 29? It's not in the lesson, but you want to write it in next to question number one in uh, the second central focus of the millennium. John 5, 28 and 29. Who would like to read those verses? Gene, real loud. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in their graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth that they, have, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. How many resurrections do we have according to Jesus? We have two. Now, in those verses, he doesn't tell us that there's a thousand years in between. That's why we have to go to Revelation. By the way, Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is speaking in Revelation. It's the testimony of Jesus. And so Revelation amplifies and clarifies that the two resurrections that Jesus spoke about, the resurrection of the righteous and the resurrection of the wicked, are separated by how long? Are separated by a thousand years. Now let's go to question number one. At the beginning of the thousand years, the righteous dead are raised to life. We know this because Revelation 20 verse 4 says that they lived. If they lived, they must have been dead. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Incidentally, to reign with Christ for a thousand years, they must have resurrection, resurrected. This resurrection is called the first resurrection. And the righteous and holy are resurrected in it. Who's resurrected in the first resurrection? The righteous and holy. God's faithful people, right? The saint, saints. Because it's, when it says holy, it's the word saints. So the saints are resurrected in the first resurrection. And when does this resurrection take place? At the beginning of what? At the beginning of the millennium. Now the Apostle Paul adds his testimony. Number two, the Apostle Paul explained that the dead in Christ would rise. Isn't that interesting? The dead in Christ would rise what? Righteous and holy are those who resurrect when? Oh, in the first resurrection. Oh, okay, thank you. Then those who are alive and remain shall be what? Caught up. Caught up. Caught up. Do you get it? Caught up together with them. With whom? With the dead in Christ. In the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. Does Jesus come all the way down? Nope. So what happens if somebody appears walking different places on planet earth. Performing miracles and speaking pretty things. It's not Christ. You can be sure of that. But for those who are expecting Christ to come to set up his millennial kingdom. They'll be fooled in a minute. That's why you need to really understand these things before probation closes. Obviously, when probation closes, all cases are decided. But what you believe about this now will, be, will determine whether you deceive later. All right, number three. Jesus promised to take his people to his father's house. The father's house is where? In heaven. Because Jesus taught us to pray, our father which art in heaven. 
<laughs> so if, if we're going to go to the Father's house, it must be that we're going to go where? Heaven. To heaven. Ah, I can hardly wait. How about you? <laughs> Tired of this sin-sick world. Yeah. Suffering and sorrow. Pain. It's time. Let's read the note. A strict reading of Revelation 20, 4 to 10, does not reveal that the saints will be in heaven during the thousand years. However, we will see that Revelation 21, verse 2 does point out this fact very clearly in the text that we just read also, where Jesus promised to take his people to his Father's house and we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, would indicate that at the second coming, we're not going to stay here, but we're going to go to heaven. Number four. The saints were given thrones and they what? And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now the roles are reversed. See, on earth they were trampled upon and persecuted, but now they are royalty. Praise the Lord. Or we are royalty. Number five. What should be the word in that first space? Judgment was committed to them. To whom? To the righteous. Those who resurrected in the first resurrection. And of course the living. Note. The question is, who are they going to judge? Obviously not the holy angels. They don't need a judgment, do they? Obviously not the righteous, because they're already in heaven. This must mean, what's the only group that's left? This must mean that they will judge Satan and his angels and the wicked who were left behind. What? Yes, that's a real left behind. Now, in a minute we're going to see why. Why? Let me ask you. Does God know everything? Yes. So why a judgment? Listen, folks, the judgment's not for God. The judgment is for his creation. You see, God could say these are saved and these are lost. And people ask why? Because I said so. <laughs> But God knows that he has a universal rebellion on his hands. Rebellion began in heaven with a third of the angels. People are deceived on planet earth. And so it's necessary for God to open up the books in heaven to show those who have gone to heaven with him why those individuals on earth were left behind. Now let me ask you this. Is any case going to change during this millennium judgment? Is it going to happen that the saints are opening up the books of the wicked who stayed behind and the devil and his angels and, oh Lord, you missed one. <laughs> I don't think so. All of the saved are in heaven and all of the lost have been left behind. Then why the judgment? Listen, the judgment is going to be like an instant replay. Let me ask you, does an instant replay change the play? No, what is the purpose of an instant replay? It's to see if the umpire blew it. Right? What's going to happen in heaven is not going to change anything. God is going to give us an instant replay of the lives of the wicked. He's not going to change anything. He's not going to doctor the books. He's just going to reenact. And he's going to show us why the wicked were lost. Because you know there's going to be people in heaven that we never expected to be there. And there's going to be people that are not there that we were banking on the fact that they were going to be there. 
there's going to be questions. And so God says, listen, I'm not going to leave any loose ends. Everything is going to be in the clear of day. Do you understand the purpose of the millennial judgment? I can respect a God like that. Who cares what puny little Stephen Bohr thinks? <laughs> hey, and by the way, the judgment that is done before the second coming of Christ? God doesn't have to do that judgment either. He already knows who's going to be saved. See, the purpose of the judgment before the coming of Jesus is to, to determine the group of the saved. And that's urgent before the second coming because at the second coming he's going to take them. But there's no urgency with the wicked because they're staying behind. Are you with me? Now, I saw a hand a long time ago over here. Yes, uh, the judgment is also, it's for all of the intelligent universe of God. All of the worlds that never sinned, all of the angels that never sinned, all of the people on planet earth, the devil and his angels, everybody ultimately will see in the lesson, at the end of the lesson tonight, is going to bow and is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone, even the devil and his angels, are going to kneel before the majesty of Christ and admit that God was right in the way he dealt with every case. I can respect a God like that. Who cares what we think? Isn't that nice? Now, the millennial judgment is going to be like uh, it's going to be like an audit. Let me ask you, do auditors change the books? No, they only check to see if the bookkeeping was kept properly. See? Oh, they shred. Yeah, human auditors do. <laughs> but now the heavenly auditor, there's no shredding machine in heaven. No heavenly Enron. Now, let's go to number six. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? What? The saints will judge what? Do you know what the Apostle Paul is saying there? For the, the people of the United States who just love to go to court and sue people? The context is that church members were taking church members to court. If you read uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3. And the Apostle Paul was saying, listen, if you can't settle things in the church between yourselves and you have to take your dirty laundry before worldings, how do you think you're going to someday judge the world? Don't you know that we're going to judge the world? So learn, learn to take care of things here within the realm of the church. And then what does he say? Do you not know that we shall judge what? Angels? Which angels? It can't be the good angels. They don't need a judgment. So it has to be what? It has to be the wicked angels. The righteous will not be subject to the what? To the second death. So how many deaths are there? Two. First death and second death. Number eight. By the way, when the Bible says that uh, the saints are going to judge the world, it's not talking about the world in its material composition. It's speaking about the world in the sense that Jesus says uh, that the world has hated you, he says about the, the disciples. It's the wicked people in the world. It's, it's the same that, that uh, uh, James says in James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses. Don't you know that a love for the world is enmity against God? It's the same as 1 John 2.15 and 16. Love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. The world means the worldlings. We're not going to judge. We're not going to judge the material substance of the world. 
It's the worldling. Those whose life is committed to the world. Now, number eight. The what? The rest of the dead will not come to life again until the thousand years are? Now, I don't know if you get the point or not, but if the righteous resurrect at the beginning of the millennium, like we've noticed, and the rest of the dead do not resurrect until after the thousand years, who must the rest of the dead be? Has to be the wicked. Right? Now, let's read the note. Very important note. All beings in this world experienced a what? A first birth. At least I hope all of you did. And a first what? Life. See, we experience a first birth and we're living our first life, right? At the beginning of the millennium, those who died in Christ will resurrect to their what? To their second life, never more to die. In other words, the righteous have second life, but not second death. The wicked, on the other hand, did they also, were they also born to the, from their mothers to their first life? Yes. And if they die, will they resurrect to a second life? After the thousand years? Yes. But then they will be judged and they will suffer what? They will suffer second death. Second death is always after the millennium, after the thousand years. Never does the Bible speak of second death before the end of the millennium. It's always at the end. And the reason why, at the beginning of the millennium, the righteous resurrect and they live forever. At the end of the millennium, the wicked resurrect and they die forever. Are you following me? So in other words, there's two resurrections and two destinies. One, the righteous will inherit eternal life and the wicked, the wages of sin is what? Is death. Is that clear in your mind? Now, let's go to the note. Very important note. Continuing on the third page. There's a punctuation problem in Revelation 20, verse 5. The original New Testament manuscripts did not have punctuation marks. So the translators placed them where they felt they belonged. The New King James translators should have placed parentheses around the following phrase, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And you say, well, uh, how do you know that? Is that some invention by Steve Bort? No. The most popular version today does it. The New International Version. Does somebody have the New International Version? The NIV? No? Yes? Does it have parentheses? Revelation 20, verse 5. Does that parentheses around where it says, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished? Yes, it does. Aha. So, I have told you the truth. <laughs> I am not putting punctuation marks where they should not be. Now, what's happening here? This parenthetical statement breaks the flow of thought. That's what parentheses are all about, right? To add an explanatory note. Because John is, he's, you know, he's seeing what's happening with the righteous, but he says, now wait a minute, what about the rest of the dead? What's going to happen with it? So the angel says, okay, I'll give you this parenthetical explanation. 
And so this parenthetical statement breaks the flow of thought in order to explain what will happen with the wicked who were left behind at the beginning of the thousand years. They do not rise to life again until when? After the thousand years. That must mean that during the thousand years they are dead. And that's what it means that Satan is bound. Let me ask you, where does the power of Satan reside? Let me ask you, how, many, how much power does a king have without subjects? Imagine me going to New Mexico, big wonderful New Mexico, where they have lots of land, and I take about a thousand acres where nobody lives, and I say, I declare myself king of this realm. <laughs> Not much power. Because the power of the king resides in his people. And because all of the wicked are dead during the thousand years, how much power does Satan have? None. He can't deceive. So bind means that all of his people are dead, and because the dead, the wicked dead come to life after the thousand years, that means that he is unbound. So the binding and unbinding have to do with the death and the resurrection of the wicked. Okay, number nine. At the end of the thousand years, Satan will be... Okay, the note of number nine. If all the wicked are dead during the thousand years, then Satan will have no one to deceive. When the wicked resurrect at the end of the thousand years, Satan will have his power base back and will be able to deceive once again. The cards... Maybe I shouldn't have used this illustration. <laughs> Give some promotion to Las Vegas, but no. It's a, a figure of speech. The cards seem to be stacked in favor of the wicked. And the righteous appear to be in jeopardy. Didn't that happen before the millennium too? Number 10. The wicked surround the camp of the saints. See, who is still the center of focus here? Even though it's talking about, even though it's talking about the wicked, who's the central focus? The saints, the righteous. And so it says the wicked surrounded the camp of the saints. By the way, you'd have to talk about the sanctuary here. <laughs> because the sanctuary, the, the, the saints live in the sanctuary encampment. We won't get into that right now. You can ask it on Saturday night. <laughs> so the wicked surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved what? City. Does it uh, name the city? Not yet. Now let's read the note. Very important note. What happened to God's people all over the earth before the millennium, remember that we talked about before the millennium that the wicked are gathered in the wine press around the city? Yes or no? Where is the city before the millennium? In heaven. But what is the reflection of that city on earth? It's where the saints live. And who are the saints? Those who have accepted Jesus Christ. And where are they? All over the world. So Jerusalem is what? Worldwide. Where is the wine press before the millennium? It says that the, he cast the grapes in the wine press of the earth. He harvested the harvest of the earth. This is worldwide. In other words, before the thousand years, the wicked all over the world surround the righteous where? All over the world. Are you with me? But after the millennium, it's different. 
Let's read the rest of the note. Jerusalem before the millennium is worldwide, where two or three are gathered in Christ's name. But after the millennium, all God's people are gathered in a literal place. True or false? In a literal city of New Jerusalem. True or false? When were they gathered there? Oh, they were gathered there at the second coming of Jesus. Because Jesus sends the angels to what? To gather his elect. And he gathers them all in his city. Are you with me? We start to see that the saints are going to spend the millennium in the city. Now, is that principle clear? You got it? Good. Number 11. Satan and his angels and the wicked will be unable to what? To conquer the city. They will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. And now we have a translation problem. The King New King James says, where the beast and the false prophet are. Doesn't it say that? How, what does the New King James say there? In Revelation 20 and verse 9. Is it 10? Verse 10. See, it gives the impression that the beast and the false prophet were already in the lake of fire. Are you with me? When Satan is thrown in. But you see, the problem is that the word are there is supplied by the translators because they feel that it belongs. But if you read, if you read carefully, it says that the devil and his angels were cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet were cast. See, Satan's angels were cast where the false prophet and the beast were cast. Are you with me? In other words, the, the verb that goes there is not present, but it has to harmonize with were cast. Are you with me? The devil and his angels were cast where the beast and the false prophet were cast when? Before the millennium. It doesn't say that they were burning all during the millennium. They're still there at the end of the millennium. It simply says that it's the same lake of fire that punished the beast and the false prophet. These systems is going to be the same lake of fire that is going to punish the devil and his angels. Are you following me? In my Bible, the R is in italic size. It's different than the rest of the writing. Sure. And, and when... And when a word is italicized, it means that the translator supplied the word because they think it belongs. But it doesn't belong. Okay, now let's read the note. Revelation 29 reaches the climax of events after the millennium. But several questions remain. And what are those questions? Why were those in the city saved and those outside lost? Have we found any information about that? Nope. What is the name of the city the wicked surrounded? Are we informed about that? So far? No. Were the wicked ever convinced that they were wrong and God was right? Nothing about that. When did the saints enter the city? Nothing directly on that. What was the judgment process during the thousand years like? It says that the that, uh, saints were given judgment. 
but it doesn't say how the process went. See, the process is going to be repeated after the thousand years. The same things that the righteous saw in heaven about the wicked and the devil and his angels are going to be showed to the devil and his angels and the wicked at the end of the morning. And then everybody in the universe is going to be convinced that God was right. The righteous will be convinced. The wicked will be convinced. And the devil and his angels will be convinced. That's the purpose of the post-millennial judgment. It's a so that Satan and his angels and the wicked can see their cases and also know that God was right in the way that he dealt with them. Can you admire a God that even cares about the wicked being convinced that God has been right about the way he's done things? Oh, I can really respect a God like that. You know, it's not a God who says, uh, uh, who says you're saved and you're lost. Why? Because I said so. Too many loose ends. Okay, now let's go to our next section, the view of the wicked. At this point, events at the beginning and during the millennium have faded from view. See, in our third focus, the beginning and the end of the millennium, you don't have, uh, you don't have anything about that. The concern now is with the judgment of the wicked when? After the millennium. After the thousand years, the rest of the dead live Again, before the wicked suffer second death, however, a what? A white throne judgment takes place. This judgment obviously takes place before the wicked were cast into the lake of fire, right? How could it take place after they were destroyed in the lake of fire? This must mean that Revelation 20, 11 to 15 is what? is repeating events which took place before the wicked were destroyed. What is John doing? He's going what? He's going back. He's already talked about the devil and his angels and the wicked they've cast into the lake of fire. He says, but wait a minute! There's something that happened before that. I've got to tell you. And now he's going to talk about a judgment that took place before they were cast in. Are you with me? See, you can't read Revelation 20 and 21 in a linear fashion. Because you'll be all messed up. You'll find three legs of fire. And you say, well, they're cast in here, and they're cast in here, they're cast in here. No, I suppose, triple purification. <laughs> it's senseless. I have to invent something. Now, number two. The dead who resurrect after the thousand years stand before God and... Books were opened. Oh, books are, why are books open? What's in the books? The lives of the wicked. We're going to see that in a minute. And another what? Book. So notice, there are books and there is a book. They're not the same thing. One is singular, and the other is plural. Now, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's read the note. We know that the wicked are resurrected before they stand before God because we are explicitly told that the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades, Hades means the grave, death and the grave delivered up the dead that were in them. So did the wicked resurrect? Yes, the sea and the grave and death gave up the dead that were in them. They resurrected, in other words. We know that this judgment is taking place on earth 
Because in verses 7 to 9, the wicked surrounded the holy city on earth. Are you following me? See how exciting this becomes when you read carefully? There's a lot there. You know, we usually just quickly read and we think we know everything. You know, whenever I study, I discover how ignorant I am. Because I'm always discovering new things. The, the Bible is always fresh. It always has something new. Something to surprise you. Even that verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Every time I read it and study it, something fresh comes that I didn't know before. That's the beauty of the Bible. That doesn't happen when I read Reader's Digest. okay number three the books plural you understand when when I put something in brackets that that's my own remark okay good because that's not in the text but I put it in so you can understand what it's referring to the books plural contain the works of the wicked the record of their lives in other words and they are judged according to the things which were written in the books. According to their what? According to their works. Now some people have problems with that. Let's read the note. Though we are saved by grace through faith, our works reveal whether our faith was genuine. In the judgment it will be seen that many of the wicked said, Lord, Lord, but their lives were filled with lawlessness. By their fruits you shall know them, Jesus said. He didn't say by their faith you shall know them. He said by their fruits. Because our fruits show whether we had faith or not. Uh, yes. <laughs> white throne judgment. Well, uh, the white throne judgment is Jesus' is seated on that throne. Because it's the same scene that is in Matthew chapter 25 where the the sheep and the goats are gathered before Jesus. And he separates the sheep from the goat. It says that he's definitely seated, seated on a white throne. And usually we take that separation of the sheep and goats as something that happens at the second coming. It doesn't happen at the second coming. It happens after the millennium. Jesus is seated on the throne. He's opening the books and he's opening the book so that the wicked can see it. Uh, Matthew 25, uh, starting with verse um, uh, 31 to verse 46. Uh-huh. Okay, now let's, uh, where were we? Page 4. Oh, we're on the roll here. We only have 10 minutes left. Yes, Louis. Okay. Oh, it's a literal C. Number four, the book of life is brought forth in this judgment to show the wicked that their what? That their names were not in it. In other words, what God does, he he shows them the book. And he says, by the way, your name isn't in the book. Do you know why? Are you understanding? He takes out the book of life, he shows your name is not in here. Now I want you to know why. Here's, Here's the record of your life. That's why you're not in there. Did you deserve to be in there? Better than, no, we didn't. You were right. Do you understand why the books and book are open? Because the book has names. The books have the record of the life. The note 
The names of the lost will be in the book of life. Will not be in the book of life. <laughs> because of the record of their life, which was written in the books, at this point we do not know what those works were. Do we? Ah, but we will soon know. It is remarkable that God will not destroy the wicked until they are convinced that God has dealt justly with them. What a God. Number five. The book of life contains the what? The names of all who will be what? Saved. Are the wicked in that book? No. And the reason why is because what's in the book? Let's read, the, let's, uh, read number six. After the judgment of the wicked, they will be cast into the lake of fire and will suffer what? Second death. Let's read the note. Revelation 20, 14 and 15 reaches the same climax as had previously been reached in 28 and 9. Right? In 28 and 9, were the wicked cast into the lake of fire? Were the devil and his angels cast into the lake of fire? Yes. But now 20, 14 and 15 speaks about the same lake because he went back to talk about the judgment and reaches the same climax. Oh, number seven, okay. Perfect number. After Satan and his angels, the wicked, death, and the grave have been cast into the lake of fire, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Because the first heaven and the first earth, what? Passed away. Now, the note is very important. The chapter division at the end of verse 15 is unfortunate. Not only did the original authors not put punctuation marks, they did not divide chapters and verses. Those were made for our convenience. And they divided chapter 20 at the wrong spot. And you're going to see why. Chapter divisions were not established by the original authors. They were added for our convenience. Revelation 21 verse 1 really belongs to chapter 20. In other words, after Satan, his angels, the wicked, the grave, and death have been burned up, God will make a new heaven and a new earth. Do you understand what I'm saying? Revelation 21.1 is really the conclusion of chapter 20, not the introduction to chapter 21. How many of you are with me? See, if you don't know, if you don't believe that, you're going to have, you're going to really be messed up. Let me ask you, when the wicked, when the wicked surrounded the city, was the city on earth? Of course it was on earth. It says so in chapter 20, verses 7 and 9. The city descended to the earth, and it was on the earth. And the wicked were where? They surrounded the city on the earth. But now, if you begin Revelation chapter 20, 21 at verse 1, and you think that begins a new series, you have a serious problem. Because in Revelation 21, verse 2, it says, Then I, John, saw the new Jerusalem descending from heaven out of God. How could God have made a new heavens and a new earth? And the city hasn't even come down yet for the wicked to surround it. Are you understanding what I'm saying? To the view of God and the holy city, the last section. Everything clear so far? Good. At the end of chapter 20, we are left with several unanswered questions. What was in the books which condemned the wicked? Were the righteous in heaven during the thousand years? 
What will life in the city be like? And what will God be like? These questions are answered in the last outline of millennial events. Number one, we'll go through this quickly. Revelation 21 verse 2 begins the final outline of post-millennial events. This outline begins when John sees what? The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This begins a new series, doesn't it? Do you understand why it begins a new series? Is that clear in your mind? Because the city is on earth when the wicked surround it. So that must mean that this is talking about the time when the city descended so that the wicked could surround it. And we'll see that clearly in a moment. Let's read the note. In Revelation 27 to 9, we are told that the new Jerusalem was on the earth when the wicked surrounded it. This means that the new Jerusalem descended from heaven to the earth before the wicked surrounded it and before they were cast into the lake of fire. This being the case, Revelation 21 verse 2 transpires before Revelation 21 verse 1. Notice here that the city is identified by name. There can be no doubt that the righteous are in the city when it descended. This is true for at least three reasons. Number one, texts such as 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17 explain that Jesus will take his people to heaven when he comes. So they must come back with him when the city descends. Number two, when the wicked surround the city after the millennium, the righteous are inside, right? And number three, the millennial condition of the earth would make it impossible for God's people to live here. So they must have been where? They must have been in the city in heaven. And by the way, uh, clearly, it says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham and the patriarchs looked for a heavenly city whose builder and maker is God. Number two, John heard a voice from heaven saying that the tabernacle of God is with men and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This earth will be the capital of the universe. Can you imagine the privilege of living on the planet that will be the capital of the vast universe? Wow. Don't miss it for anything. Number three. God promises to wipe away every what? Every tear from the eyes of his people. By the way, will there be tears during the millennium? The tears are not wiped away until after the millennium. Because as we examine the cases of the wicked, those who stayed behind, maybe loved ones, there will be tears. So it says he will wipe away all tears from, their, from the eyes of his people and assures us that there will be no more what? No more death, nor sorrow, nor what? Nor crying. There shall be no more pain. Praise the Lord. Number four. God promises to give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. We can even now spiritually drink of the fountain of the water of life freely, but then we will be able to literally drink from the water of the river of life. Number five. Those who overcome will inherit all things. And God promises I will be his God and he shall be my son. 
But listen, to become sons and daughters of God, we must be baptized first. We must, we must spiritually join his spiritual kingdom if you want to spend eternity in his literal kingdom. So if you haven't been baptized by immersion, you need to start thinking about it or you need to continue thinking about it. Because that's the official moment when God says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Number six, this is very important now. We now find out what was written in the books of the wicked. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers. By the way, are all these transgressions of the Ten Commandments? Yes. Sexually immoral. Sorcerers. Idolaters. And all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now we know what was in the books. There was murder in the books. There was adultery in the books. There was bearing false witness in the books. There was idolatry in the books. Are you understanding now? Specified. We didn't know before exactly what was there, but now we do. Now number seven, very important. The contrast between those inside and outside can be more clearly seen in Revelation 22, 14, and 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments. Does God uh, want us to keep the Ten Commandments? But that's legalism to keep the Ten Commandments, isn't it? The Pharisees kept the Ten Commandments, didn't they? I don't want to be like the Pharisees. <laughs> Listen, we keep the commandments not because we think that by keeping them we're saved. We keep the commandments because we love Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Which means that if you don't love me, don't keep them. Because the opposite is true also. The coin has two sides. And so it says, blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates, into the city. All of the people in the city will be commandment keepers. What about outside? But, notice that word, but, here's the contrast, but, but what? Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters. And whoever loves and practices a lie those inside are law keepers while those outside are law breakers. Do you understand why it's so serious now that the little horn thought he could change the law? See, when the little horn changes the law or thinks he can change the law and everybody breaks the law, they're setting themselves up to be outside the holy city. Serious business. That's why the man of sin is called the man of lawlessness. The man of lawlessness. Now let's go to our last, last section very quickly. Save the best till last. The perspective of Isaiah 24, 21 to 23. Did you study this carefully? Isn't it amazing? You have the millennium in the Old Testament. At the second coming, God will punish what? On high, the what? The host of exalted ones. Who are these? On high. By the way, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, the word that is used is 
He will punish in the heavens the host of the exalted ones. Who are these hosts of heavenly exalted ones? According to Revelation 20, who is it? Satan is angels. Angels. The Bible says that Satan is the prince of the what? Of the power of the air. We are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in what? In high places. So at the second coming, God will punish on high the host of exalted ones. But not only the exalted ones, who else will he punish? And the what? And on earth, he will punish the kings of the earth. Is that exactly the scenario we find in Revelation 19 and 20? Do you remember that in Revelation 19 it says that the beast and the false prophet were gathered with the kings of the earth to war against the one who was seated on the throne? Or on the horse? Remember that? And then it says that the kings are destroyed. In the very next chapter, it says that the devil is punished. But now we know that it's not only the devil, because it's the host of the high ones that are on high. Are you following me? Yes? Okay, good. Number two. The high ones and the kings of the earth will be gathered together as what? Is that uh, in Revelation 20? Is that in Revelation 20? Anybody thrown in prison? Yes. The high ones and the kings of the earth will be gathered together as prisoners in the pit and will be what? Shut up in prison. The wicked will be shut in in prison because they'll be dead. And the high ones will be forced to remain on earth. And by the way, the devil's going to remember what it was like during the flood. Because the devil has had to spend a period of time on planet earth before. <laughs> We're going to study that next time. On a planet that returned to pre-creation chaos. At the time of the flood. That's why First Peter 3 talks about the spirits in prison. We won't get into that. That's my sermon this next Sabbath, so don't miss it. Got to get in an advertisement here. <laughs> Number three. The high ones and the kings of the earth will be punished after what? Now, wait a minute. I thought, they were, I thought, I thought God punished them before the many days. Did he? Yes, it says God will punish the host of the high ones on high. And then it says, after many days, they will be punished. Now, wait a minute. How many times are they going to be punished? Twice. Are you following me or not? Let's read it again, because I see some confused looks. It says that God is going to what? When Jesus comes, number one, God will punish on high the what? The host of the exalted ones. And on earth, he will punish the kings of the earth. But then it says that after many days that they spend in prison, they are going to be what? They're going to be punished again. Did you catch that? Ah, thank you very much. This proves the year-day principle. Because in Isaiah, it says, after many days they shall be visited. In Revelation, it says, after 1,000 years they will be visited. Days are equal to years. Did you catch it? It proves the year-day principle. But it is four days. So? No. Because, because 1,000 days would be 1,000 years. Applying the year-day principle. 
If it was one year, then it would have to be day. One year, one day. But here it says, after many days, they will be punished. And the days are what? A thousand years, according to Revelation. So days are equivalent to what? To years. See, you have a year-day principle proven right here in Isaiah 24. And now notice, we have to finish here. After the many days, the moon will be what? By the way, uh, the moon will be what? Disgraced. And the sun what? Ashamed. What is that talking about? Because the Lord of hosts, ah, they're going to be ashamed because the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before his elders gloriously. By the way, after the many days in Revelation, do you have the new Jerusalem coming down? Do you have the new Jerusalem here right after the many days? It's obviously talking about the same thing. Now, what does this mean that the moon and the sun are going to be ashamed? Revelation 21, 23 has the explanation. It explains why. By the way, I put moon twice there. Why the sun, or that should be the moon. Why the moon is disgraced and the sun is what? Ashamed. Why is that? Oh, Revelation 21, 23 says the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine it in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. See how it all fits together? Number five. Revelation 21, 27 says that nothing which what? Which defiles will enter the holy city. Jesus said, Blessed are thee, pure in heart, for they shall see God. Everyone who has this hope of seeing Jesus as he is must purify himself even as Jesus is pure. And the Apostle Paul exhorts us to pursue what? Holiness. Without which no one will what? Will see the Lord. How do we cleanse our lives? Number five, the way to cleanse our life is by hiding the Word of God in our hearts. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org. Dot audioverse.org.